sunshine, rocking the good time with all our friends. Easy and carefree, out in the summer breeze, loving a simple thanks for hours on end. Right about sundown, we lay on the ground, count on the stars as they come out one at a time. Ain't this a sweet life? Hey everybody, I'm X Factor winner Tate Stevens, and welcome to the Sweet Life Podcast, where we talk about everything from music, sports, food, entertainment, and, well, just living the sweet life. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. Uh, Tate Stevens along with AJ Cronk, as usual. Yeah, man. All right. Today's going to be cool, man. I'm excited about it. Uh, my uh, record producer and friend, Blake Chancy, Grammy award-winning record producer, so before we get into that, just a little, uh, little, um, I don't know, a little kind of uh, preface, a uh, little introduction on Blake. Um, man, kind of his whole family, his his dad, Ron Chancy, um, produced tons of, of hit records for the Oak Ridge Boys and a bunch of artists, uh, Billy Crash Craddock and a bunch of other people. Yeah. Um, did a lot of jingles, did a lot of things like that. Signed, George Strait. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So we'll talk about that and some other things. Uh, so stick around. I can hear you now. There he goes. There we go. It's a little technical. We're not, like, we're not very technical here, man. All right? That's all I'm saying. So you got to. <laughs> well, you know I'm not technical. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> hey, uh. What's been going on? Man, nothing but COVID around here. Uh, I just got it. I'm, I'm eight days in quarantine, <laughs> but I was vaccinated, so it tapped it down pretty well for me. Right. And I think I had it. I think I had it when it first started. Okay. I was working with a trio, um, uh, Craig Wayne Boyd, yep. Casey James, uh, Adam Wakefield, and we were all in here trying to figure some stuff out and right. we all got sick, but we didn't know what it was back then. Huh. Uh, and it was really bad. I didn't get out of bed for three or four days. Right. And a couple of them got tested. I think Craig got tested and I think Casey did. Uh, I never did. I don't know. I doubt Adam would. Um, uh, but uh, it, it came back. I mean, yeah, I was in bed for four or five days then, but mm. this thing, it was like a mild cold this time. Right. I just had to hide. But right. my mother-in-law has it. My my wife's cousin that lives with my mother-in-law has it. And everybody around me's got it right now in varying degrees. It's crazy. It you know, um and 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 good for you, uh, you know, being vaccinated, honestly, that probably helped, you know, um your cause of of getting real sick. Um, I, and, and, you know, I'm not a, you know, if you're vaccinated, great. If you're not great, it's up to you. It's your choice, your body, whatever you do. I'm not telling people to do whatever, but you know, we're, we're vaccinated here. Uh, my wife has asthma real bad. So we had to kind of jump on it early, uh, the vaccination thing. So, uh, we've been, we've been fortunate in our family that, you know, just really hasn't hit us and, and, uh, so, Good for you guys, man. It's yeah, yeah. it's just now kicking back in around here. So hopefully it'll it'll get tapped back down soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, dude, I we can't 
I just pray that it doesn't go the opposite way and and shut everything down yep. again, you know. Um all right, well dude, I look, I love you. I love what you do. I love everything about you. You're you uh you know, back when I met you long time ago, the first time I met you with Drew um years ago, back in 2010 maybe. Um I came in, I sang some songs for you back then and and uh I remember you know, you were you were just real honest and and you know, like, hey man, if you really want to do this, you got to be here. You know, you can't. This whole traveling back and forth thing isn't going to work. And you know, um, at that time, obviously, I couldn't move or or make the move down or whatever. Um, you know, and then what? T- uh, a few years later, you know, I win the show, and and I just remembered. I'm like, you know what? That guy was honest with me. Um, and plus I knew your work. I knew, you know, uh, the, the people you've produced and, and, you know, and all that. So I'm like, I want to make a real record, a real country record. And, uh, of course the label and, and the powers that be at that time at Sony and, and, uh, Simon's people, the psycho people there, uh, psycho Simcoe or whatever they called it then, um, they were like, well, you know, we want, we see this or, you know, and I'm like, Hey, you know, I need I need somebody who knows country music, and and you know, I got a guy in mind, and I know they kind of fought me. They they were like, "Well, who is it?" And I said, "Blake Chancy." Well, Jim Catino, he <laughs> he was like, "Why, why Blake?" <laughs> you know, we got we got so and so, and we can do this. And I said, "Listen, I'm I'm not I'm not doubting your guy." I said, "But I've I've heard all of Blake's records. I've heard, or you know." The things that I've I've heard, they're real country, and it's you know whatever. I need to make a country record. I need you know it's who I am, and that's what I do. I need to make a real country record. You know, of course, I know stories. Obviously, being in the studio uh, with you know for hours and hours with you, and and we get to, I got to learn you know all kinds of cool stories, and I want to tell some of those stories today. And um and and we're gonna start early in in your in your career. Um, you had you told me a great story about your dad and Irv. Uh, when you were, you might have been in high school or right out of high school, you had your little production company that you were doing, and uh, they they the had live, live production. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and uh, so and your dad. I'm not. Let me introduce your dad too, Ron Chancy, obviously Blake's father, um, who who was a, a producer um, from was it late '70s through the '80s '90s. Uh, no, it would have been late 60s, late 60s. through about 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 90s. Into, yeah. the, into the 90s. Yeah. So he used, to, he used to produce a lot of records, but he also used to do a lot of commercials as well. So right, right. I remember. Worked, he worked every day. He worked a lot harder than me. <laughs> I remember. I remember, uh, you know, so again you come from a lineage of of you know music and and even the where you grew up i mean like you told me stories of like your neighbors were all famous artists and you know yeah every, every i grew up in a little town called madison tennessee which is a kind of a suburb of nashville but back in the day it was a standalone little town that was nobody came to nashville because we had the first mall in the Southeast. We had, um, it was very blue collar. You had, um, Peter built, you had DuPont, you had Bridgestone tire. You had all the, uh, Tennessee pride sausage. You had all these blue collar factory 
And then you had uh, all the musicians lived in Madison. Right. Uh, recording musicians, touring musicians. So everybody was all kind of piled together on these little acre lots with, you know, ranch style houses. And so across the street from me was Maybelle Carter <laughs> when I was really little. She ended up moving when I was about, I guess, 10 is uh-huh. when Johnny finally married June. And that's when Johnny moved her over to Due West. But growing up as a kid, they were right up, you know, right across the street. And Brother Oswald and Mr. A Cup's band, he was our back. Our backyard touched his. Bob Moore, who was part of the A team, um, uh, Mr. The Scruggs lived one road over and always played touch football in the Scruggs front yard. Um, you know, it was just a north, weird little <laughs> town of blue collar and musicians. Harlan Howard lived like two streets over. Um, See, it, wow. It was everything from executives to songwriters to touring musicians to studio musicians, to the guy that worked before Glass Point. Right. You know, so right. it was all together. So it was a really cool little town to grow up in. So from so you started, obviously your dad's doing the production thing, jingles and commercials, and then artists, got into the artist thing too. And then you took that and said, you know what, I think this live thing is i like doing the live yeah. production or or was it or was it more well, i want to do that my dad and i never worked together um everybody in my neighborhood uh played something okay uh, we lived on a dead end off of a dead end and everybody in this area would play something so i and i was the youngest everybody else was two to eight years older than me that i ran with right and so i'd go to pick up a guitar and then you know, I'd have a buddy, Harry Graham or Wade Seymour or one of the guys in the neighborhood be just killing it. And I go, well, there's no need for me to do that. You know, and then I'd say, well, I'll try to play this. And then there'd be somebody 10 times better. So I kind of got relinquished, if you will, to being the sound guy that that owned the PA. If you own the PA, nobody can fire you. Right. Right. That's, you know, that's why I own the PA in my PA. band. Yeah, a- AJ, AJ, AJ just said that's why he owns the PA in his own band because they keep. That's can, right. Yeah. You can't fire the guy with the PA. Yeah. So, so you come out and and uh, you told like I said this this will kind of get you through high or into high school I think or maybe right out of high. Uh, I think you said you were in high, high school. school. I was working sound for everybody and their mother and in high school. Yeah, and then you said that your dad and Irv come to you, and they said, "Listen, uh, that was Irv." Uh, George Strait. Um, this is an awesome was, story. Um, he had just had his first single come out. My father signed George Strait. Irv hadn't come out yet, and said he was his manager. Irv was the head of promotion for the record label, not telling anybody that he was managing George Strait. Right? Dad signed George Strait, not. He, Dad claims he never knew at that time that Irv was managing. Right. Uh, so they signed him. Dad was too busy to produce any claims. So he got a, a friend of ours, Blake Mevis, to produce him. Um, and he had his first single out. I think it was called Unwound. Yep. So uh, they were doing a show at, at Opryland. Um, Opryland Hotel was somewhat new at the time. So they only had a couple of ballrooms at the time. It's the Tennessee ballroom. And they were doing a show for Handelman. Handelman back then were the people that put all the records in Kmart. The big account. It wow. was a 
you know, record labels were kissing their butts and trying everything they could to, to, to do something for them. So it was a Handelman convention and uh-huh. George was going to play for him. And it was George's introduction to the Handelman people that were going to put all of his records and all the Kmarts and all these places. Wow. So they're bidding the job out. And Irv says to my father, you ought to get Blake. Blake could probably do this. This is a simple gig. Why don't you let him bid on this? And my father was like, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> but they talked him into it. So I bid the job. And lo and behold, man, a guy named Gus Lux, we got the job. Right. Went down there, set up. Back then I had monitors and, and you know, a PA and a console and a monitor console, all this stuff. I was probably 16, 17, something like that. And we did the sound check and George goes, man, this is awesome, Blake. I've never played many shows or any shows with monitors before. We always listen off the back wall and all these clubs. That's awesome to have something right in front of you and be able to hear yourself. Holy cow. (laughs) I was like, well, that's great, man. That's great. So good sound check. So it's time for the show. And they go, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from blah, 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 Texas, George Strait. No vocals, nothing. Just singing along. (laughs) Nothing's coming out of the mains. My father is breathing down my neck going, what's wrong? Why, why is there no vocals? What's going on? To this day, I don't know what happened. I didn't have anything. I start sweating and freaking. I ran all the way to the back, plugged the monitor console into the mains just so they could have vocals. Oh, God. Even Mr. Fogelson, the nicest man in the whole world, was mad at me. Oh, my goodness. And, that's, you know, and so the show ends. I'm just devastated. And I'm sitting on the front of the stage. George puts his arm around me and he goes, Blake, those guys were so drunk. They didn't even know I was here. Don't worry about it. This, the worst thing that ever happens to me, I'll be fine. Right. He was really cool about it. That's George awesome. was awesome. That My was dad awesome. so awesome. George awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, my dad's not so good. George not is good. so awesome. No, no. But I thought, he thought that might make me want to get out of the music business, but that didn't work either. Wow. So from there, you, now how long did you do your live production part of it? Did you did you stay with that through stuck, college? Yeah, and I got stuck doing that. Um, I, I, what happened is I ended up getting hired uh, my junior year in high school. I started working sound for this, this um, uh, frat cover band that was really big in the Southeastern conference schools. And these guys were crazy. They split, they spent all their money on their PA. They had the best PA. A monkey could have made something sound good with that PA. (laughs) So we would go out and do these shows, these big high society shows or shows with all these other artists. And they would open for them. And then the main artist would come out and I'd mix and people say, man, it sounded fantastic. You know, and I got all the credit and it truly was not me it was the gear but uh, for me it kept helping me get bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> gigs so all the way through college I went to uh, MTSU and they were really really good about allowing me to tour uh, they did they weren't prepared for it nobody had done that at that time but they uh, they would give me extra credit and do things so I could go on the road and I'd be gone Friday Saturday you know Thursday Friday Saturday sometimes but right. I worked pretty much the whole time through college yeah and 
and then is that where you kind of got the bug to produce? Like, man, I want to try my hand to get in the studio, or was it was it something that was just a gradual progression? I thought I was going to be a world famous engineer. I really, honest to God, thought I would. I thought I was the shit until I met the shit. And uh, his name was Chuck Ainley. I was supposed to, um, he was moving on from a studio in Nashville called the castle. Uh-huh. And he was the house engineer and I, they were going to hire me coming out of college to take his place. And I had to shadow him for a week. And I realized after two days that there is there, I'm not even close <laughs> to what he can do. This is, I have made a huge error. So I went to, again, to my dad and his best friend were sitting on the back of my dad's boat drinking. Shocker. And uh, I was uh, lamenting my mistakes and how I can't believe I did this. And his friend, Bob Beckham, who was a huge independent publisher and combine music. uh, His writers were Chris Christopherson, Dolly Parton, Tony Joe White, Dennis Lindy, Larry Gatlin. Um, just a few good ones, yeah. huh? Oh, it, it goes on and on and on <laughs> and on. And he says, he, he was almost like a Warner Brothers cartoon character. He said, son, you're going to work for me. And I said, doing what? And he says, you're going to do whatever I tell you, son. And I said, well, what do you do? He goes, I'm a publisher. I said, what's a publisher? My dad got so mad. <laughs> and what in the hell is wrong with you? Why do you think all these people that keep coming to the house and playing me songs from my artist are? But we'd never done publishing in our family. All we'd ever done was, all I'd ever done was work with neighborhood people, recording music, going on the road. All that. I didn't know what publishing was. I knew what a copyright was, but I didn't understand the art of publishing. Right. So I went to work for Bob. Bob was a genius. And I learned how to you know, how to work with songwriters and, you know, it's a, it's a different animal to get in there and to motivate people to be creative. And then he started forcing me back into the studio because I'd already decided I wasn't going to be in the studio after seeing Chuck, but <laughs> Beckham made me go back in and work with Dennis Landy and then start working with other people and trying to help them get their songs together. I learned so much from Dennis Landy. He's probably my biggest influence. Right. And then I started developing writers and then these writers would get record deals. And of course, the first thing to do is fire me and go get somebody really good. <laughs> and that went on three or four times until finally I got lucky. And one of the guys that went on to didn't do such a good job. And they came back for me. And that's how I kind of got my start produced. That's, you know, and then so if people don't people don't realize how how the music industry it's kind of like it's a never ending, um, like a, a river that just flows and and turns and twists and and it it's it's the biggest small industry, probably on the planet. Um, it's a lot like a high school too. Everybody yeah. knows everybody. Everybody yeah. knows it, you know. Yeah, and, and it's uh, and it's like in Madison where I grew up. All those people that worked in the factories, they were nine to five, and they didn't take their work home. They never talked about work, but everybody in the music business—that's all they ever talk about. Yeah, you know? yeah. Every they get away from it, unfortunately. Right, right. And and so everybody knows everybody. It's it. Everybody kind of mingles and, and intertwines, and it's this big pool of who you know and and you know who they know, and 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 it kind of works that way. Um, do you? <laughs> so 
what was your first, do you remember your first artist that you went in and said, okay, this is, you know, we're going to produce this record, maybe a single or, you know, and whatever it was, who was the very first one that you went in and said, okay, <clears throat> here it is. This is what we're doing. I'm trying to think because I, back then I was doing multiple formats of music, like everybody, you know, people in my neighborhood were all rock bands. Uh-huh. And then there was all kinds of different music at the time going on. Mm-hmm. But the first country thing I did, I grew up with uh, some guys. We all kind of grew up together. Uh, Rusty Golden, Chris Golden, and they had a band. They were William Lee Golden's kids. And right. my dad had signed the Oak Ridge Boys and produced all their hits. So Rusty and Chris and I grew up together. And then their band were a lot of the guys I grew up with in my neighborhood playing in their band. So that was the first thing that I ever took into the studio and produced as a whole, you know, rehearsed them, worked with Rusty a lot on songs, um, just kind of getting it right and then going in the studio and recording it and doing vocals and getting it mixed. And that was probably the first thing I was ever a part of. Unfortunately, it wasn't successful. It was kind of ahead of its time. It was very much like Poco or, or very eagle-ish at the time, and that wasn't really what was going on in Nashville. Right, time. right, right. So when when was that? Was that set late seventies, early eighties, or, no, or no, no, that no, no, been no, that, mid eighties? That, uh, that would have been probably about late eighties. Late eighties. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then so you you started the production producing, um, and I know we met with in. in uh, some of the people that you've worked with for years and years, like Kyle Lanning, uh, you know, um, and, and those great people who who had been doing it for years and years and years, and you you know uh, you learned and, and leaned on them and all that. I'm sure you know, and and yes. and, and there's probably hundreds like that. Um, uh, I wouldn't say hundreds, but there's uh, you know like people like Kyle Lanning, God Almighty, he did so much for me, and he's been such a great friend and a great. Teacher and mentor. I mean, he's he's truly amazing. He really is. He's a super super great person. Like his stories, like listening to him talk, and you know how he got the Waylon Jennings gig. You know, uh, it, he, he saved my bacon. Uh, I I made I was making a record on Waylon. Um, uh, it was a live record, uh, live from the Roman Auditorium, and it was where we recorded it for three days the sound checks and shows at night and stuff. And then I was trying to explain to him how with computers, we can fly all this stuff around and do all this stuff and put it together like a jigsaw puzzle. And he was looking at me like I had a horn going out of my head. (laughs) And we were working and and he was just grumpy as hell and just beating me to death. And I was working with doing two things at once. I was over at Kyle's house and Kyle said, well, you know, y'all just hire me to come over there and work. I was like, what? And he goes, Wayland loves me. So I go back to the other studio and I'm t- working with Kyle. And I said, Waylon Jennings told me to, I mean, uh, uh, Waylon, uh, Kyle Lennon told me to hello. And he said, that is a great man right there. <laughs> he said, that man knows what he's doing, unlike you. <laughs> so I hired Kyle. So I immediately hired Kyle. And then he goes, that's the greatest move you've made so far. And then after that, we were great. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing see just like stories like that just you uh when did you go to work for sony when was the sony 
Um, I had thing. worked at Combine, and then it became a guy named Marty Bandier, and Charles Kaufman bought it, and then it became a company called SBK. That's when I did. Um, I started working on David Ball about then, right? Uh, and then in EMI, it became EMI after that, and that's when a lot of the stuff I was working on started coming out, and uh, and then the David Ball thing exploded, and. Uh, that album was huge. And yeah. so then that's when I got hired about 1991 or two, somewhere in there, 92, maybe I went to work at uh, Sony. Now was Scott there at that time? Simon was Scott was there. Scott and Paul Worley were the ones that took me to lunch. And Paul said, so, uh, Blake, uh, you know, Scott knows what we're here to talk about and everything. And I looked at Paul and I said, Okay, but I don't know. What are we talking about? What are we doing here? And he goes, you know, about coming to work at Sony. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, we've talked about this. I went, no, we haven't. You've never, ever mentioned to me that you want to hire me to go work at Sony. I don't know who he'd been talking to. Somebody almost had a job, and it ended up being me. And uh, I said, okay. And Scott goes, well, you want to come work here? And I went, yeah. And he goes, how much? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, let me go figure this out. And so about three days later, I, I, and it was across the street. I only had one office the whole time I was in the music business at that point. I had an office at Combine, which became SPK, which became EMI. And then I get hired at Sony and I put everything in a box and I walked across the street. Okay. So that and, leads us into the Dixie Chicks. Mm-hmm. This story, which, you know, um, in, in one of the sessions or one of our, one of our corner pub, uh, <laughs> stop offs. Um, you, you told me how you found, or they were found or you found them or someone like said, Hey, listen to this or whatever it was. I can't remember how you got together with them and then how you went back to Scott and said, Hey, this is what we need to do. Um, that kind of not really. Scott owed a guy named Simon Renshaw a favor. Simon Renshaw was a manager. Somewhere down the line, Scott and Simon had done something or it didn't work out, and Scott owed Simon a favor. So at the time, Scott was not in a position to sign anything, and Simon had a band. So Scott comes to me and says, hey, man, uh, would you go to Austin, Texas, and stay at your favorite hotel for four seasons for for a couple, three days. And while you're down there, would you go check this band out for me as a favor? You don't have to sign them. I just owe this guy a favor. And you can go down there and visit your buddy, Bruce Robeson, Charlie Robeson, brothers, pronounce their last names different. Who knows? Who knows? And all the other guys that were down there that were my friends. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. Who, who am I going to see? He goes, Dixie Chicks. And I went, well, man, I've passed on them at least two times. I said, I have no intention of signing them. Uh But I'll go, if I can go to Texas for three days and stay at the Four Seasons, hang out, I'll go do it. So I did. I went down there, and then the night I went to see them. Trying to get Charlie and Bruce to go. They wouldn't go. Uh, It's funny because Charlie ended up marrying Emily. Uh, Yeah, exactly. uh, Kelly Willis, who was Bruce Robinson's. Robeson's wife was playing that night at the Continental Club. So I went to um, 
the Broken Spoke to see the girls play. They had a different lead singer at the time. Her name was Laura Lynch. Right. And so I went to see them play and I closed my eyes and they sounded really good. It was kind of during country music when Kathy Matea and Susie Bogus. Yeah. A lot of those guys were, were having hits and it wasn't like all those songs had a lot of, a ton of range, but you know, it was real good, pure voices like right. Amy Lou Harris. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, um, I would close my eyes and listen to them and it sounded really good. And then I'd open my eyes and they were wearing all these goofy outfits <laughs> and I'd, <laughs> I'd go, Oh man. But I, I thought there might be something there. So when I came home, I told Scott, it's not a pass, but it's, I don't know what to do, but I need to hear him sing like, like just with the guitar in, in front of me. So the next weekend I went to Dallas and sat in Laura Lynch's living room while the girls sat around me and played a bunch of songs, just wearing jeans with holes in them and whatnot. And I went, huh. so I gave them the worst record deal in the history of mankind. Uh, Scott did actually, he's the one that <laughs> wrote, we both got together and wrote the deal up. Uh, and then we had them signed. And then Marty and Emily came back a few months later. Scott was still there then uh-huh. and came back and said, Hey, uh, we're going to fire the lead singer and hire a different lead singer. And I said, well, I've heard of firing the drummer, the guitar player, but never the lead singer. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty big thing there. And they said, well, we've got two girls we're really, really excited about. We're just down to these two. We've got to decide which one we want to hire. To this day, I don't know who the other girl is, but Natalie was one of the two girls. Right. So then a few months later, I went to see them play at a place called the La Zona Rosa, in Austin, Texas. And it wasn't like the angels went or anything. It was good. It was like, Scott came back to me and says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't think we should do anything. Let's just do what we're doing and just let her be the new person. And I'll keep going forward with them and we'll see what we got. And that's how we started the deal. Yeah. That's, and you just never know. Right. And, and, and <laughs> then you produce that first record. And I did. I did a bunch of demos with them. And then uh, they were playing somewhere in Dallas. And one of our regionals heard it. And we, I was on a call. And uh, the regional said something like, man, I saw this band last night. And they were introduced as Sony recording artists. And everybody just started looking around, you know, and said their names were the Dixie Chicks. And I was thinking, oh, shit. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, Scott uh, must have got Finally, him. the girl, uh, finally she said, uh, uh, they were awesome. They were great. And uh, uh, my boss at the time, Paul Worley, looked over at me and said, you know anything about this? <laughs> I said, let's talk after this meeting. Yeah. And uh, so everybody was mad at me. I had him head for over a year and a half. <laughs> so I played him three or four sides I'd recorded. And yeah. he said, man, that's awesome. And I said, thank you. And he goes, man, I don't have a lot going on right now. Is there any way I could jump on that with you? And I said, well, I don't know. I guess maybe I would go ask the girls. That's the luckiest day of Paul Worley's life right there. Jumping on that train because that was huge. Isn't that- not, that, not that he didn't deliver a bunch. He did deliver a bunch. Right. And I was making records. But right. that, was a, that was a good day for him. Man. Uh I just that story alone is such a such a um it's like an <laughs> iconic story because everybody's heard 
you know, uh, well, not everybody, maybe, but I, I think it was in Rolling Stone magazine. I think it was all, you know, how they were so upside down and all the 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 deal that was done originally, you know, and they fought, they had to fight and all this hoopla to get out of it or whatever they did. <clears throat> it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things. Again, people don't realize um, how hard the music industry is and how well. It's the only business I know that if you have great success, the first thing the artist does is try to take everything back. And not that they shouldn't, but, you know, like if you're a producer and you do a great job and the album goes the bonkers like that did, and then people come back and go, man, thank you so much. Great job. But we were wondering if we could cut you in half now. (laughs) you just go okay you know because things are working really good anyway but it's you know if you go work for ford or something and you did that they double your salary you know they don't cut your salary in half yeah no absolutely absolutely it is what it is but you know a lot of artists have had you know usually what happens is an artist has a big hit and the first thing they do is just come back and renegotiate Tom Petty's done it. Every everybody's done. It. You yeah. know, Garth Brooks has done it. You just come in. That's nature of the game. So the record labels always. And I, the reason we did it is because we had already budgeted all of our money to do other things. Yeah, we didn't have any money to do this, so we had to make something up. And since we only had so little money, we had to make the deal that that way. Right. You know, I'm not trying to. We weren't trying to be mean or take advantage of anybody. We just didn't have any money allocated to yeah. do any no I, I, any new acts so I, i'm delighted it happened i i i know i've, I've been there mm-hmm. <laughs> was there any artist that you brought in like you were like this is gonna work look at them they they have you check all the boxes right you know you go through yep. is it marketable their name i mean down to you know their eye color whatever you know what i mean they're like okay all the boxes check um, and then you push it forward and then it just, you're like, what, what's going on? What happened? Where, where I've had a couple, I've had a couple of three of those happen and it's always, um, you know, something, you know, there's always looking back 20 years later, or 15 or 10 years later, <clears throat> there's always, you can see, well, there was that one little thing that could have maybe kept that from happening. But you know, it's, it's always that lightning in a bottle, you know, people, I've been very fortunate to, you know, as an A&R person to have identified so many people that have gone on to, to great things. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's something that's always in my gut and I just always get this thing in my gut. I, it's not a, I don't analyze it. I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, COVID. <clears throat> uh, it's, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's just something. I maybe it's a it's a God given gift. I guess everything that happens to me falls on me like a tree. You know, it's like right. I don't go looking. It's like when we made your record. Yep. I wasn't like going, Tater man. You <laughs> called me up one day, yeah. and I was like, You want to do what? Yeah. Huh? Absolutely. I didn't even know at the one point that you were doing this. Yeah. You called me up and said, Hey man, uh, you need to turn on the dog. Taters. I was like, caters on television? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I thought Drew was pulling one on. Yeah. Know? And then, damn, yeah. there you were, you know? Yeah. Well, so you don't, you know, 
stuff happens to me like that all the time. Yeah. Like just recently, um, I'm here in my, my hole. I, apparently I've been socially distancing for a long time and nobody told me. And uh, I'm sitting here and I look down at my phone and it says unknown. And I thought, Oh, don't do it. Don't, don't yeah. do it. That's, and so I didn't answer. So then I looked down and somebody texts me and says, Blake Chancy, is this still your number? And I thought, uh oh, this don't do it. <laughs> but, like a, but like a dummy, I yeah. said, it is. Who is this? And it says, this is Randy Hauser, your old buddy Randy Hauser, man. How are you doing? And I said, good. How are you? You know? And then he texts me, hey, man, I think I'm your neighbor. I bought a house. X amount of doors down from you. And I built a recording studio and my keyboard player who does a lot of sessions for you says, you are my neighbor. Huh. You want to come down and hang out? And I thought, what the hell? So I said, I guess so. I said, I'm kind of right in the middle of something. Is 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Literally. He lives six doors down from me. I could walk. Nice. 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 And I walk in, he's got this huge, beautiful recording studio he's built and i'm not sure at that point he knew what he was doing and he had his band in there and it didn't sound right and he was trying to do a bunch of stuff and i go hey you might want to try this and then i start talking to his piano player john henry he's like man i'm glad you're here man yeah john john played on on my my last on the sweet life project yeah he's great man yep so he goes, man, glad you're here, man. Really glad you're here. You know? So we, I help him through it. And then, you know, he asked me, what do I think? And I said, man, uh, none of this is going to work. Because uh, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. You know, the process, if you will. Right. And he goes, well, uh, you want to come down and help me tomorrow or something? I went, well, I guess. I said, let me see what I have. I'll, I'll hit you back. Next thing you know, six months later, we're finishing a record. And it's unbelievable. He That's awesome. His, he wrote his ass off. He sings his ass off. He does. We had real musicians in there. The first time after COVID uh, that I had had musicians, and we were all in there, and everybody's got their their mask on and looking around. You know, everybody's all kind of got the bug eyes. <laughs> Randy had already just Randy had just had COVID while I was working with him, yeah. and uh, I ended up not getting it that time. And. Uh, made this killer record man it's coming out the first of next year we we just finished it nice but you know here i am sitting in the room and it falls on me yet again like a tree you know it's always my my mo you know well i mean here but you know to build you yeah and and it does sure those those are gifts i you know everything that i get like that i i mean it's it's got to come from somewhere, you know, I haven't been this good of a person. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not that Amen. good. You know what I mean? I'm not. And and uh, but so it has to come from somewhere. And and I think God gives us those kind of little things here and there. Um, and and but you have worked so hard, and and just your 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 catalog of work, um, and your you know, how you've done things and who you've worked with and, and, you know, just who you are as a person, um, you know, that goes a long way with people. Like I said, I, I mean, I, I could have, I could have picked, you know, Phil Billy or someone else to, you know, um, 
I, I felt bad because I actually was writing a song with him. Um, uh, oh my God, Ro- uh, Rogers, um, Frank Rogers. Um, yeah. yeah, and and Frank, yeah, Frank flew out to L.A. while I was on the show, and to to talk to me, and they wouldn't let him talk to me. The people at the X Factor wouldn't wouldn't let him talk to me, um, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, and uh, but he flew out there. He had some work to do, but he was like, "Hey, he stopped by," and I remember, I remember seeing him, and he was in the in the little cage of people that they let in and you could kind of walk around and talk, but they wouldn't like let him talk to me, talk to me. They introduced him. He introduced himself and that kind of thing. And I just kind of went, Oh, okay. Frank Rogers. Great. Nice to meet you, sir. I'm really busy right now. You know? Uh, and, but so th- there, there's, there was all these other people they were throwing at me, but it comes down to people who like, like I said, you were very honest with me. You never you you were like in fact the one of the the things you said you kind of sat back and I I remember uh, Ryan was sitting there and, and uh, I love Ryan yeah and and we're sitting there in this in your little office and uh, you were like and I only I did like a, a verse and a chorus of a, a couple songs just because I, I was like I don't need to waste your time you're going to be able to hear that you know you'll either say oh yeah okay he can sing or he can't sing or whatever you know you don't need a lot you know <laughs> to, to know and so I did a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus of another song and <clears throat> I remember you set back I was freaking out I was so nervous I was like oh my god it's Blake Chancey you know Montgomery Gentry all this stuff I mean all your really and 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 so I'm like I'm just like freaking out, and you sat back, scratched your head, rubbed your goatee, <laughs> rubbed your goatee. You were like, "Well, look at that, Ryan. We ain't even good enough to get a whole damn song out of." <laughs> and I, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. I just, I just folded. I was just sitting like, "Oh my god!" And then I was like, "I would have sang. I didn't know. I just didn't want to take up your time, you know." And it, and then uh, you, and you like, you're like, "Ah, hey, listen, I'm not gonna blow smoke, but what we are gonna do is go to the corner pub." <laughs> and get a drink and I'm gonna get some wings. And then we just walk to the corner pub, you know? And uh and you're like, I'm not gonna blow smoke, dude. Uh, I'm gonna be very honest with you. Um here's the deal. Can you sing? Absolutely. Um, you wanna do it, you wanna do demos, we can make that happen, you know? Uh, but you gotta be here. And I'm like, right on, that's cool. I I I can deal with honesty. You don't have to blow smoke. I'm a big boy. I can take it, right? I've I've been told no a thousand times before. You telling me no is not going to hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? But it was the honesty and your body of work that you've done in the production that I've heard that I heard on the radio and, and on the records that you've produced, and and knowing that I had a little bit of a connection, meaning we had, you know, we had a beer at the corner right. pub. You know that went a long way in my in my. Uh, choosing, I'm like, he didn't lie to me. Um, you know, he's a good person. Like, you know, just hanging out with him, it's a guy I can go have a beer with and hang out with for a while. You know, I mean, we had that thing. That's why I'm like, Blake Chancy, my guy. You know, when I go in to record, I want and, and what he does. That's what I want. So, 
for you to say things just kind of fall out of the sky, yeah, they probably do, but there's a reason. At the end of the day, man, there's a reason, dude. There, people don't just call you. Randy Hauser's not just going to call you. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> but but you see what I'm saying, though. You see what I'm saying. I mean, I right. I, I know I I I get it. But because of who you are, what you've done in the past, and and your body of work, man, it just speaks volumes to well, people. Thank you. I it speaks you. volumes, dude. And and so okay, well that's awesome. And now. Montgomery Gentry. Here, here's another thing because I love him. I love you know obviously the the tragedy of of Troy. But um, you told me I can't remember what song I was cutting a song and I was having trouble with just the getting the the timing of the lyrics right and 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 you uh, trashy was in the in the <laughs> in the yeah, oh my, we just laughed. Oh my goodness! Uh, did he bring any cookies? <laughs> No, he didn't. The trashy was here today. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I go in and we're listening. You're like, let's listen back, and and you know we're kind of working through this little piece and of the song, and and you're like, this reminds me of when we were cutting. I can't remember what song it was, and Eddie, Eddie was struggling with the words, and he was like, he said, hey, Mike, let T Roy do this one. He's better at them words. <laughs> Exactly what he said. <laughs> He's better at them words. <laughs> better at them words. In his mind, he was saying he's better at singing songs with a lot of words. But what he said was he's better at the. At those words. Yeah. Oh he's my! Words. You know, I mean that just stuff like that. It's it's price. You know that whole thing. Those guys. I, I feel uh, I feel for Eddie right now because you know Troy would finish his sentences for him, you know? Uh, yeah. But uh, when I started, I signed them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that in itself is one of the craziest stories of all times. But uh, after I signed them, uh, one of my best friends was producing them and they had just kind of gotten to a place where it wasn't going forward. It gotten very one-dimensional and if it didn't have Hillbilly or barb in it they couldn't do the song that, right. it got messed up and and i was working on other things i wasn't paying attention so i i, I got roped back in at the label they're like hey you got to go fix this so um i sat with them and and there was like a list of 10 songs that i had that had gone on to be big hits that they had passed on and i remember playing it for him and then he said well I can't sing that high. I like them words in the verses, but I can't sing the chorus that high. Right. And I'd say, well, why didn't you sing that, Troy? And Troy goes, you know, everybody wants Eddie to sing all the songs because he's the one that's having the hits. Nobody wants to give me any songs. So they were kind of, Troy was very, um, uh, he was not happy at that point in his role in the band. Right. And Eddie was struggling to find songs that he thought he could sing. Eddie always, um, Eddie's a way better singer than he gives himself credit for. He actually sings his sack off, but he has, you know, he's one of those guys that has to learn the song. And once he learns it, he's got it. He doesn't just pick up a song and jam. Right. So what I learned was, is that I said, well, golly, why don't you sing the verses on this song, Eddie, my town. Yeah. You sing the verses and then we'll get Troy to sing the courses. And Troy says, well, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, you can't split a song like that. 
you can't have one guy singing one part and the other guy singing another part. And I remember his manager at the time, Johnny Doris says, huh, why can't you? And then Eddie said, I don't know, why can't we? And that's kind of how that all happened. And that became for them the, the secret sauce was yeah. for Eddie to tell the story. And then when the verse came with that, with the big range, T-Roy, take off, buddy, and kill it. Yeah. And that's and that worked really, really well for them for a long, long time. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of how that happened. I think uh, Jeffrey Steele at the time was writing songs with more range in them than probably anybody else in town at the time. Yeah. And so he was challenging people to be incredible singers. Yeah, and absolutely. so I had two guys. <laughs> I'll split it up. You know, I'll let this guy do the low stuff and this guy do the high stuff. I got it. Yeah. You know, so that, that kind of came about. And that worked for a long time. That worked on a lot of stuff for us. Yeah, it did. And like I said, that just just the the you know, that that whole process um that they that they went through it was kind of a whole change of um uh, you know they they Eddie stayed Eddie Eddie <laughs> Eddie ever Eddie never changed but but then you could see the Troy changing into kind of the different wow. the the pretty boy kind of not I mean not to that he you know what I mean that kind he was of a good looking man he yeah no yeah, you know what I mean, but it's like he he became that role. Eddie stayed his role, you know. Well, when you work at a, in at the time when you work at a record label, you don't look for you know you don't sit there and just people come play for you and you go, oh, I like that one, I like that one. It's more slots. Like if you have three male singers, you don't need any more male singers. And if you've got four female singers, you don't need more. You know, so yeah. then you start having to figure out slots that you don't have. And I was looking for an outlaw slot. I was looking for something that could hopefully fit in with Waylon and Skinner and, and somebody that could go get in trouble, that could stay up all night and drink with the radio people and, and flirt and yeah. just get in trouble. I remember John Michael, uh, Eddie's brother, told me one time, he said, you know, this is so unfair. He goes, Eddie's getting drunk and getting in trouble and people are cheering him on. And every time he gets in trouble, he, get, he goes up a notch. He goes, I get caught with a beer open and people will go, John Michael's drinking. Ah, yeah. you know, and he's like, it's such a, we're <laughs> yeah. the same family. Yeah. How come he gets to do it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I, when I told them, that's what I wanted them. I finally, uh, the story of me signing them was I got tricked into going to see them play I thought they were playing like an hour away and it ended up being four hours away. And I, I was already on the way in a car with their, with their other manager. And, uh, it was a setup. They had a, a place with all of their fans there that uh, it was in uh, Lexington, I believe at the grapevine maybe. And I was in there and their one of their managers, Estel was sitting there and he kept talking in my ear the whole time going, these boys are going to be bigger than the Beatles. These boys are going to be bigger than George Jones. These boys are going to, he just kept going and going and going. And I kept looking at Esther like, Ooh, and somebody <laughs> drops a drink in front said, of me Ooh. and it's a Jim Beam and Coke or something. And I was like, 
And I looked at the lady and I said, I'm sorry, I didn't order this. And she goes, no, that guy did. And I looked over and it's this guy that was six, four, and he was wearing like an orange hunting jacket and he had a beard like yours. And he kind of looks at me and goes, and I went, (laughs) and I took a sip of it and I thought, Oh God, this is awful. And yeah. Estelle goes, these kids are going to be as big as Merle Hag. And he's just still going, man. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, I took one drink of it and put it down. And the girl brings another one. And I said, man, please don't bring me any more of this. I'll take a beer or something. But please don't do this. And she goes, well, that guy right there sent that one. This guy was wearing a bear coat <laughs> and had a beer and everything. He stared at me and went, <laughs> And I went, uh-oh. Oh, and then all go. of a sudden, they went, ladies and gentlemen, Montgomery Gentry. It was the loudest thing I have ever heard to date. And they hit it, and they're just screaming, and they're playing as loud as they can. And they get to the very end of the song, zap! And the whole crowd turns around and looks at me. And I'm sitting there. <laughs> no clap, no anything. Everybody's just looking at me. And I went. And people started clapping, and then they turned around and started watching. It was a total setup. That's amazing. <laughs> I was so pissed off. I was so pissed off. So we stayed there, and I watched it, and I finally said, Mr. Doris, get me out of here. Get me in the car. So we got in the car, and he goes, Blake, I'm sorry, but I misled you, but I knew this was the only way you would get them up here. So about four hours, we talked coming home, and I finally said, I'll tell you what. I'll give you the worst record deal in the history of mankind. They were the other act that I gave that same bad deal to that I gave to (laughs) the girls. And I said, but we'll figure this out. But the good thing is, is my friend Joe Skate did figure it out. And we ended up, they did get a real deal. And then they had Hillbilly Shoes and had some hits. And then they slowed down. And that's when I jumped in and started doing my town and that. Yeah. It, you know, again, you see, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. I'm going to have some. (laughs) I'm, I'm just gonna have. I'm gonna at make up a, a fake show, an event. I'm gonna have like twenty thousand people, and then I'm gonna bring one guy in, and he's gonna sit in the middle, and they're all gonna turn around and look at him. I so uh, when I I finally came back and I said, you know what? I had a meeting with him and with Eddie and Troy down here in Nashville, and I said, here's what I want. I want you to be. I want you to be troublemakers. I want you to be rowdy. I want you to sing these kind of songs. I want you to do this, that, and the other. And they both were looking at me. And Troy goes, so you want me to drink and get in trouble? I said, I do. That's what I want you to do. do. And he goes, does anybody else know about this? And I went, yes. The only thing I wanted them to do was change their name. Really? It is. Yeah, I did. I tried to get their manager to change the name because I said, you know, if these guys end up not getting along, you know, and I've invested, we've, the labels invested a million dollars into them. Then what do I do? I can't use the other guy that left name. So I wish we could come up with the name. And at the end, the very last thing we were talking and negotiating, John Doris Sr. said, Blake, their names really mean a lot to them. I wish uh, they need to keep their names and to do this, you know, and I, and, and I'm glad we did that. I'm 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 sorry Troy's gonna have it's a hard time for Troy right now figuring that out. You know, because you know it's gonna be Montgomery Gentry and Troy's not there. Yeah, know? And, yeah, yeah. And the show, I guess the show must go on, I guess. But um yeah. 
I, you know, it's just a real tough one there. Yeah, that is that. I mean, and, and I've kind of, you know, watched from afar a little bit, um, knowing some people in their camp, kind of, you know, Eddie taking their nephew out, I think, uh, and did some runs with their nephew as doing the Troy part, you know, and things like that. But I just, it would be tough. It would be tough. I mean, you know, yeah, um, it is. Because well, that's you, why, you know, you get a band like Leonard Skinner or something, you know, yeah. even though it was Ronnie Van Zant. It's it's gone on, yeah. You know, and and it's changed, and it's you know it's it's right. had its morphs, and and yeah, it's morphed into other things. But <clears throat> um, so that brings you up. So you know you you've had you've had so much success in in the production, producing albums and singles and and music in general. Um, is there anybody that if you could go back and go, man, I wish I could have worked with this person, you know, if I could have went back and said, mm, I wish that I would have taken a chance and, and worked with this person, um, to produce them, you know, is there anyone like that? Even in the old, like, you know, way backs in the, in the early eighties or whatever, if you well, had I, a chance I, or. It would have been disastrous. I know for a fact, but, uh, I, I really, really, really tried hard to make a record on Buck Owens. And uh, and I think I probably uh, dodged one there. Uh, I, I went out and spent a lot of time with him on multiple trips, trying to figure it out, how we were going to do it, how we were going to go forward and all of that. And uh, the business never could get figured out. And I think that might be a blessing because it, I have a feeling I might have bit off more than I could <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, Bucko. I mean, he was just—he was a trip. He was in charge. Yeah, you know? yeah. From yeah, that's I've I've heard a few things, and uh, well, wasn't it Dwight Yoakam that bought a Harley Davidson or something? And um, yeah, Buck took it and put, filled the gas tank with Seaman uh, or something, and put it in his in the shop there. <laughs> it's like you're not going to ride it because. You know, something happened, maybe his son or something, something happened to somebody on a motorcycle and he didn't like them. And, uh, you know, he just, he was like, nah, you're not doing it. And, you know, Dwight, Dwight was a big artist. He was a superstar at this time, mm -hmm. you know, and Buck's like, yeah, no, I'm Buck Owens. You do what I say. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow. Uh, Buck, yeah. Buck, uh, Buck did really, 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 really well in business. And, um, he owned all those radio stations and everything. Um, he was a really cool guy, but I'm glad I dodged that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. That's uh, how, now how you, you went after Sony. Um, did you guys start RPM right after Sony or was there a little bit of time there in between? Uh, there was probably a two or three year lull <clears throat> that I just, I, you know, I working at, uh, at the pace I was working and having to work at a record label, I needed some time off. I, the lobotomy, I, I, I felt like I was staring at walls and yeah. that kind of thing. So I kind of went to the boat for a minute and, uh, and did, did that, played some golf and boated. But then I jumped back in and then Scott Simon and I kind of started working on a lot of stuff together and mm -hmm. some publishing together and certain projects together and, stuff you know we've on and off for ever worked together still do right you know um uh you know it's just 
it's one of those things. He's like my big brother, you know, it's not like we write stuff down or he's another one of those guys where we finish each other's sentences, Yeah, you know? And, yeah. And so we're, we're doing a lot of stuff together right now. So I, I, uh, the P it's kind of weird because I know, you know, um, you know, I don't get to see a lot of people, um, like you, I don't get to see you a lot or, you know, hardly ever now. Um, uh, you know, you're busy. And when I'm in town, it's usually like, Hey Blake, are you home? No, we're, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm busy or whatever, you know, and, and it's hard to connect, but it's still, I still view and I still have those same thing. Like, I mean, you know, I'm like every once in a while, I'll just reach out and like, how you guys doing? Hope you're well, you know, you should, you, you know, know, man, COVID's been really rough. Um, yeah, for sure. I don't see anybody. I, <laughs> I just don't see nobody. You call people and they're like, well, you know, I don't know, man. You know, I go and hide. Yeah. You know, I go, I jump on the boat and run around for a second and then come back here. But I don't, I just, it's been a strange time, man. It is. It is. It's, it's tough. And, you know, um, AJ now, AJ's a, a guitar player, singer, songwriter uh, here in town, plays with me. And, and, and uh, we've been friends for years and years. And so he, he and I have this podcast um that we do and we're just getting it off the ground it's a lot of fun gives me Good, gives me an outlet to be sort of creative uh when in you know when when music's not uh you know that you know readily available for me to go play because you know um we've we've played some shows we played a handful of shows this year and and um you know it's kind of it's kind of weird um because i, yeah. I i'm starting over and, um, that it's strange. Um, it's, it's kind of weird because now everybody's we, starting over, man. It's yeah. Crazy. It's, it's just weird. You know how, how I'm, when we go out and play, it's like, oh my God, you know, this is like completely start, you know, starting from scratch. Here we go. You know, people don't, they were, they're like, oh, you're yeah. Hey, what's up? You know, I'm like, yeah, here I am again. I'm you know, playing in your local pub again, this is me, you know, uh, you know, right. which is, it's, it's different, but you know what? It's kind of good for me. And, 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 you know, not that I'm, you know, I'm 46 years old. I'm, you know, uh, I, it, it, I don't, I don't look to be, to be a mega star. I never really wanted to be a mega star. I just wanted to be able to play music for a living. You know, I wanted to be able yeah. to, to wake up and, and, and I get to do that. I mean, essentially I wanted to get on a bus you know, and leave and go play music and then come home and mow the lawn and get on a bus and go, play. you know what I mean? That's, I just, that's what I want to do for a living. And, and, uh, yeah. you know, um, but now it's kind of like, you got to find alternate paths. You got to find different ways to get there and to do it, you know, with TikTok and all these other social media things that I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure them out. So it's like, <laughs> Jeez, you know, I, I, you know, uh, AJ and I were talking about doing just a country record, just straight up standards. You know what I mean? Going in and 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 doing a uh, even four or five, just doing like a small wow, EP, and and like do it right. You know what I mean? Pick songs that are that are, um, you know, I, I don't even know. Just pick great songs and and that have range and different different things to show off. You know, I mean, show off a little bit kind of, if you will. Uh, and, and then, you know, but make them country and make them, make them, you know, real, like, like they were recorded in 1980. You know what I mean? 
Like like Chris, you know, like Chris Stapleton's doing. He's he's putting everybody in a room, and you play and you sing, you know, and it sounds great, you know, and and you know that doing that kind of stuff is is you know it's like intriguing now. Now it's like oh, okay, you know, I need to try to do that somehow. Um, mm-hmm. Try to get somebody to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> Use somebody else's money, as they say. Yeah, it's uh, always a good thing. But you yeah. know, when you keep it small like he's doing, it, it isn't that expensive, right? Yeah. And and that you know, like I said, we're looking to do. Uh, I, I need to do something. Um, but again, you know, we're you know here we are on our little podcast, the uh, Sweet Life Podcast uh, is what we call it, and uh, right. we dude, we have a lot of fun with it, and and. You know, like I said, I so what? I'm not going to run a lot of your people off by you doing this with me. No, 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 man. Listen, I'm I'm having everybody. I got Craig Morgan's going to do it. The guys from Diamond Rio are going to do it. Um, just I'm calling all my friends and just you know because a lot of it is music. Obviously, it's my sweet life, if you will. Uh, and we right. talk, we talk about everything, hunting and fishing, to food, to music, movies. We do everything. So nothing's off off. You know. There's no limit to what we talk about, but it's the majority is music, you know, um, obviously kind of what we do. So um, we had your plumber on last week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's always good. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, well, that's awesome. So you got you got the Hauser thing going right now. Um, And and anything else coming down the line that you see or you yeah, it's a couple of newer acts that I've been developing for a while that we're about to drop. A kid named Landon Parker who is uh, Landon. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You remember Landon? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. I've got him. We've almost we're about to drop a bunch of stuff on him. It's really country. Yeah, kind of range. You know, he's been playing the bars pretty heavy lower broad. Right, and uh, and uh, so he's. You know, you are a product of what you work, you know. So he's been writing a lot of songs about beer drinking and men in the bars, but it's really good. He's doing really, really well. So that's coming up. And then there's this girl named Emma Zink I'm working with, and she has her own self-contained band. And they come over here to my place, and we've been working, and it's been really a lot of fun. (laughs) Nice. That's what I'm in the middle of doing. Yeah, man. Uh, well, that's good. That's good. You're busy. Well, dude, I'm not going to take any more of your time. I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate you talking with us and hanging out and Anytime. telling the stories, man. Um, when I'm in town, I will definitely uh, come see you. Um, Please. So, miss hanging out, man. I miss hanging out. Okay. So, I'll uh, buy you a beer. That's right. Perfect. I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, buddy. Thank you, sir. Have a great evening. And, uh, man, I miss you. And uh, we'll see you soon, hopefully. All right. Bro. All right, Blake. Talk thank you, sir. Soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, it is time. Yeah. It is time. Well, we tried Daryl last week, and he didn't answer. So let's try him again. Yeah. God, it's loud. Yeah. All right, here we go. Answer. Answer the phone. What are you doing? Hello? Surprise! Daryl Cronk. <laughs> oh, what's going on? Nothing. You're on a podcast. So anyway, um, oh. yeah, we got yeah, baseball coach. Up. 
<laughs> baseball coach Daryl Cronk on the podcast this evening. Uh, man, we started this new thing, AJ and I did. It's a surprise you're on a podcast. We just go through our phones and we call people randomly. And uh, I called you last week. You didn't answer. So we gave you a second chance, <laughs> give you another chance to be on the show. So, um, all right. Anyway. <laughs> He sounds so excited. He's like, all right. I was getting ready to go to bed, but whatever. (laughs) No, watch the World Series game. Oh, that's right. Yeah, see, we're not. We're not. We're we're doing our own thing. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Yeah, two of of these kids are doing their own thing. That's what AJ and I do on Wednesdays. So anyway, all right, so what's going on? Anything cool? Anything uh, going on uh, that's exciting in your world right now? Oh, well, uh, college baseball. So we are, we are in our last week of our, um, uh, fall practice portion uh-huh. of our schedule that the NAIA allows us seven weeks in the fall. So yeah, this week just finishing up. Nice. Nice. There you go. And then you could take a little break and then come back, hit it hard in the spring. Right. That's right. Yeah. Go, go, go recruit somewhere warm. <laughs> there, that's where you're like i'm going to california for like a month and a half see you later that's right yeah well good 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 um okay well this is what we do we just call randomly and uh you know i got a few questions uh we ask everybody a few questions kind of like a lightning round not bad not not too tough like you know what's your favorite movie Ooh, that's my question right now yep right now here we go favorite movie oh uh, just off the top of my head, Shawshank Redemption. That's the second person that said yep. Shawshank Redemption. Must be that Belton. Must thing. be. Yeah. Must oh, be. Oh, Rob Rob Elkins said that was his favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, Rob said that was his favorite movie. Yeah. That's well, a good I'm one. A good company. Yeah, that's a yeah, great, great movie. Great movie. Okay. Uh favorite food. What's your favorite food? Hard to beat a uh a good old steak. Yeah, okay. Steak and potato guy, huh? I got you. Right. I hear you. I hear that. Um, okay. Last one. Favorite ice cream. Ooh, I'll go with uh, chocolate chip. Chocolate. That's a great one. Can't be classic. Just you know, chocolate chip. <laughs> you think about that. Vanilla with chocolate chips in it. Yeah. That's just good. It's it just hard to beat. It is hard to beat. Just good, especially if it's good. I like the chocolate chunk. Chocolate chip. I think Blue Bunny. Oh, yeah. I think Blue Bunny makes it. Yeah. And it's got the little yeah. pe- oh my God. That's why I'm fat. Has chocolate peanut butter that's pretty good too. So. Yeah, that'd be that'd be, you know, yeah, right in there. That's and let me guess. I know AJ likes peanut butter, so Yeah. That ain't yeah. bad. That's good. He wrote a song about it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, we'll play that on the next one. On the next podcast, okay, we're gonna play we're gonna play. <laughs> I'm sure everybody just can't wait to hear it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, cool. Well, thanks for answering today. That's uh, like I said. This it's just a quick little hey surprise. You're on a podcast. Ask answer a few questions. Kind of yeah. So uh, we appreciate All right. it. All right, Absolutely. dude. Anytime. Well, okay. Um, AJ, you got anything else before we let him go? Um, no, not really. They don't call him the best color man in the <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right daryl we'll talk we'll talk to you later all right have a good one guys. okay bye bye we may have to have a um we will a, a yellowstone episode one. here pretty soon one. well after this first 
when the when the new season comes out, yeah, in a couple weeks, we'll have a we'll have a Yellowstone. We'll have we'll have to have one. Yeah, see if my wife will come up and do it because she's a <laughs> freak about it. I was gonna say I'm uh, I got four more episodes and I'm be caught up. Then you're caught. It's yeah. It's I mean, it's yeah. hard not to. Once you start watching them, you're like, oh, it's two o'clock in the morning. I need to watch. I got to find out what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did they find him? Did Casey find him? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, Shh. yeah. Yeah. So I liked Rip up until this last episode that I watched. Really? And he said, he's talking to Beth. He's like, uh, it's whenever she's telling him that she can't have kids, you know? And he's like, oh, I don't like dogs either. I was like, you didn't like dogs? Mm, no. Well, you, you'll, you'll find that you, you'll <laughs> like him again. <laughs> you'll find you'll like him again pretty quick. <laughs> Pretty quick, yeah. Especially, yeah. One, when you, when, yeah, because you're not. They haven't. She hasn't given him the note yet, has he? Yeah. Oh, well, so she read him the note out in the field, on the steps. Yes. And he's sitting on the steps, and he's all like, on the the house. Are you talking about where he said he was going to leave the the ranch to Rip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's already happened, mm-hmm. and yes. then. Um, uh, I tell you what, I've gotten up until let's see what's this. Uh, I think it just left off with. Um, oh man, I just watched it like an hour ago. Yeah, I can't even remember. I thought it was awesome when uh, when they hung that old boy up in the tree. <laughs> yeah. Let him hang. Let him hang. <laughs> ah dang, it's so good, dude. So good. Anyway, well. Um, that's all the time we have today. Uh, make sure you uh, give us a like, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcast, um, and uh, yeah, share, 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 share as many times as you can. Yes. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Ain't this a sweet life? Hey guys, thanks for listening. Want to ask a question for a future episode? Well, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter with hashtag Sweet Life Podcast. And be sure to give us a five-star rating and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest news and information for the Sweet Life Podcast. And we'll see you next time.